Welcome, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning, and you are with Lyle and... Darren. Darren. Where, where is Lawson this morning? Lawson contacted me saying he was under the weather. Could I fill in? So I am here. I wonder why, <laughs> I wonder why Lawson might be under the weather this morning. If you are listeners to, irregular listeners to the breakfast show at this hour of the morning, then you will know that Lawson <laughs> went for his second AZ shot yesterday and he's under the weather. Yes, my last that- night about 6 p.m. he said, Darren, I'm not going to make it. Can you make it? So- <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's the best ever. Lawson, our hearts go out to you. Actually, no, they don't. <laughs> we, we are enjoying your pain this morning. <laughs> uh, the good thing is this this is a curable disease. It will go away in... About 24 hours. About 24 hours. And you will be fine after that. <laughs> that that's, that's why we can make fun of you. If we thought you were seriously sick, then yes, we would... Um, it would be different, but we need to pray for Lawson this morning. He's um, he's a little bit under the weather, so he's not here. Darren, what are you thankful for this morning? I am thankful for freshly mown green lawns. Oh, yes, it's that time of year, isn't it? The spring is there and the lawns are growing and greening up, and there's something about just looking back when you finish mowing a large expanse of lawn and seeing it all nice and level and flat and freshly mown makes me feel awesome. Because during winter... You don't mow the grass because the grass doesn't grow, but it grows a little bit and it becomes patchy. That's right. And it's uneven, whereas during, you know, spring, summer, autumn, it all becomes even because you just, you know, you just mow it regularly and it's just flat and nice. And, and it amazing. looks and feels good to do something like that. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. You've got a big yard too. I have a big yard. You yes. have a ride on? No. No, you get your exercise. I've got a brand new battery operated mower, which is really awesome. It, so it you runs just, on battery. So it's not hard to start then when you uh, pull the, <laughs> the starter cord. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. I hope Lawson's listening this morning. Darren, what have we got happening in the world of positively different news? Yes, Jeff. One of our listeners sent us some positively different news today. So thank you, Jeff. Wonderful. Picked up that um, this pandemic has created all sorts of issues with border closures right across our state. I've never heard so many issues between states as what we've had with the pandemic. And, and between LGAs. Yeah. Normally a state of origin and a and rivalry, but this is a whole new level of... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like Queensland versus... New South Wales, and we're going to take our bat and ball and go home, and you know, then the other state sort of. You we're know, staying shut. That's right. <laughs> you stay out. That's right. Well, this is one of those you, we're staying shut, you stay out stories. I'm from Queensland, um, basically, and go back to the top of the story. I was just reading it because it just arrived, and yeah, homeless Katrina Kemp has been stuck on the border. She was going to do some work down at Jindabyne. Yeah, when there's lots of work down there with um, the snow and wherever else. And she took her three kids down there to work as a cleaner. And, of course, the work dried up. Yep, a lot of seasonal work and and you've got uh, lockdown, so nobody's going snow skiing. So she tried to go home to Bundaberg in Queensland and they'd shut the borders and she could not get across the border despite all sorts of applications and things. Locked her out with her three kids. This is amazing. You know, it kind of reminds me of the old joke about the, uh, the, the the New South Wales and the Queenslander. I can't remember the details. I think there was actually three of them talking. But anyway, they, they, they were given, they were each given a wish, and the Queenslander said, "Build a wall all the way around Queensland." Yeah, 
And, and, and then it's the New South Welshman's turn. He's like, and fill it with water. <laughs> and it's kind of like that's what's happening right now, you know. It is. Queensland's like, build a wall around the outside. And New South Wales is like, yes, fill it with water. <laughs> and they're saying we're not opening at 70, we're not opening at 80, we're not even going to open at 90. So, oh, wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty, um, for, for um, this woman, Mrs. Kemp and her children, she was stuck in a tent. Can you imagine living on the, up there on the border, stuck in a you, tent with three kids? There are worse places to be camping, but that's a long time to be camping for. I was up with my sons recently, and... Your, your son comes from that region. She, he does. He lives up near there, um, Ocean Shores. I'm super jealous for the fact that he lives there, and super not jealous for the amount of rent that he pays. Oh, it's like huge, huge rent for a young couple. But um, but what I found was, because I was up there because I was allowed to travel, I was double vaxxed and my son lost a baby. And yes. so really sad. Um, yes. But I was up there with him. And what I can tell you is on that border, it rains. When it rains, it rains. Like This is true. Literally pours it, it down. It does. And that's not good in a tent Being in a tent with three kids, I feel sorry for it. And so did many listeners who put in money to send it to a motel for three nights and then another person gave money for her to go and stay in a cabin for three nights and um, finally this week her petition has been approved to cross the border. She's allowed to go home but she has to now pay for quarantine. A hotel quarantine. But they've just changed. In Queensland, they're allowing you now to do your quarantine at home. So good news, she's allowed to go home and quarantine at home and at least get home with three kids to Bundaberg. So a shout-out to kind people yes. who donated money to help someone in distress out. And, and this is a single mother, I'm assuming. Single mum. So a hard-working single mum heading down to New South Wales to, you know, to put food on the table for her kids and provide for a family. I mean, these are our heroes, and we need to remember that these people are, are our heroes. That is that is a big job. That is a, that is a tough gig right there. And... Uh, Good to know. Praise God. Yep. She's been looked after. Really good. And just changing topic quickly, we're talking about lawns and gardens, things just earlier, about what I was thankful for. Um, I was, my other good news story is that, did you know that having dirty fingernails with soil under them is good for you? I did not. Remember but when I'm you were a kid? I don't know if you were, had a mum like this, but mum makes all line up for inspection. So we were just six kids. <laughs> yeah, I really, my mum did do this, but then my mum passed away when I was young, and so then that all went out the window. But now that you say that, for probably the first time in about 30 or 40 years, I have it's remembered back, that. A flashback to holding out your hands yes. and having to show your nails to your mum. Uh-huh. And if my nails were dirty, I was docked, I think it was 20 cents off my pocket money back then. <laughs> <laughs> Big money back in the day. Well, my mum is... Mum is no longer with us either, but I've got revenge because um, research coming out of the States says that dirt, garden soil, actually is a good antidepressant. Is that so? Yes. And so you get it stuck under your fingernails and you absorb a little bit of it and it actually is an antidepressant. They say there's a bacterium that is as good as Prozac. This blows my mind because, you know, um, this station is sponsored by the Adventist Church and one of our founders in the Adventist Church was a lady by the name of Ellen White who said that one of the best things that you could do for to, to counter depression was to work in the garden. Well, and uh, now we have the science of Her husband did that, remember? He got burnt out and yes. she told him to go outside and work in the garden and that's what he did to get over his burnout. Wow. She said, she said, she said things like walk in the forest, yep. roam around, um, work in the garden, 
be outside, get in the sunlight, the fresh air, the sunshine, and uh, I think he was he was down for like eighteen months or something. That's right. Like a long, uh, it was a it was a major burnout. But breathing, they say, even breathing in this bacterium, it's in the soil, is good for making you feel better. And there's even proof coming out it actually makes you more intelligent as well, at least in rats. But they're not sure at humans yet. But but there's an idea about it makes you more intelligent as well. well I'm going to agree that it makes you more intelligent in, in in humans as well because when I was a kid, I was sent out into the garden to weed the garden on regular occasions. And so I'm going to claim it. Me too. Yeah, you know, why not? Let's claim it. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Somebody's texted through to say that uh, uh, this means that most farmers must be geniuses. The story that you were sharing. <laughs> I don't mind working with the soil in my garden. Unfortunately, it didn't work on me. Uh, by the way, I read the benefits of soil under my fingers also many, many years ago and wishing Lawson a speedy recovery. <laughs> yes, we are, we are wishing Lawson a speedy recovery. But uh, I think most farmers are geniuses. Oh, well, to farm and do what you do, they are. Definitely, yeah. definitely. All right, so let's talk about some more serious stories this morning. And I'm going to start with this one uh, because this one is coming out of France where France's top bishop, a man by the name of Eric de Moulins Beaufort. Uh, my French is terrible. But uh, <laughs> Bishop Eric has just been summoned by the Secretary of the Interior for a please explain moment after he went on air and stated that Roman Catholic priests would never divulge child abuse that was revealed to them in the confessional, uh, even though it is France is a mandatory reporting country. Ooh. So he went on radio, on air, he went public and said, we are going to practice civil disobedience against this particular law that was put in place to protect children. Who are being abused. I don't like this at all. And so, yes, the Minister of the Interior has summoned him and has said that he's going to have a conversation in which he's going to go through the law and explain the law to the to the bishop, just in case the bishop is missing any of the uh, details. Minutia that, that of the law. Yeah, the minutiae <laughs> of the law. Just in case you don't understand what this law says, this is what the law says. Yeah. No, no, that is that is just wrong in this day and age. Um, yes. wrong, wrong in any day and age, but... That's right, but particularly now after we have so much research on the level of damage that is caused to children that are abused. All right, let's uh, see what else. We- okay, so this is another story, and this is kind of the flip side to the story that uh, we shared yesterday, which, of course, was a story that you shared with me, Darren, yep. about uh, Facebook and the damage that Facebook has on teen girls. Huge damage. And we noted that uh, the research has been done by Facebook themselves and then covered up for at least two years, possibly more, that their algorithm was driving teen girls towards unhealthy eating, or eat, basically eating disorders, uh, anorexia and bulimia. Yeah, and varying in feature on 13, 14-year-olds particularly. Yes, yeah. yes. So this is a new piece of, um, a, 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 new, a new, I don't know what you call this, but anyway, it's come out from, let me just find out here. Uh, let me get this person's correct name. Uh, I have written it down here somewhere. Professor of the University of Michigan. Yes, here we go. Uh, This is according to research by Dr. Carla Pfeiffer, Associate Professor of Women's and Gender Studies uh, at the University of Michigan. And this one to me is probably just as bad, but from the flip side of the coin. 
Mm-hmm. And so what she's effectively done is created a new type of uh, victim and a new type of racism, which is called fat phobia. So basically what she's saying is that uh, fat phobia is racist because some races are fatter than others. Yeah, there's some truth in that. I did some research on that, um, and I've got the stats here on my computer. White people are the fattest people in the world. That's true too. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. if you but then a whole bunch of things. How do you know if you've got fat phobia? If you don't date a fat person, you've got fat phobia. If um, if you are healthy, you have fat phobia. If you are an exercise nut, you are fat phobic. Oh come on! Yes, this is where <laughs> it gets a little, This is where it goes silly. <laughs> Um, and that society itself is fatphobic because of, for instance, the size of seats that we have on aeroplanes and the size of seats that there are in <laughs> restaurants, um, etc. So these are some of the examples. Now, I'm a cabinet maker by trade. I was a cabinet maker uh, in, in a previous life before I went into ministry. And it's interesting to see how things change in cabinet making because you have certain standards by which you build things too. Mm-hmm. What has been interesting that I've noticed since I first did my apprenticeship is that the standard height of a kitchen bench top has gone up. Oh, really? Because people are taller than they used to be. Well, that's true because the house, I'm in a 100-year-old house or more than 100-year-old house built by S.N. Haskell, yes. the benches are too low. That's right, absolutely. <laughs> the other thing that is interesting is the standard chair size... The width of a standard kitchen uh, d- dining room chair used to be 350 millimetres. Yep, yep. Um, that's what we used to build them to. It went, then went up to 380 millimetres. It's currently at, currently at 430 millimetres. That says something wow. about Western society. It says that good nutrition and good health is increasing our size. Well, no. Yes and no. It's showing that we are increasing in height but also increasing in width. Oh, well, good and, and not good. <laughs> yes, good and not good at the same time. Good and not good at the same time. And so, yeah, did a bit of research on this and to find out, you know, where are the biggest problem areas in the world and the area, the, the countries dealing with the largest obesity problems is the USA, no surprise there. Saudi Arabia, Turkey, uh, South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina and Chile. Okay. So those are your largest areas in the world. Uh, the areas with the least amount of problem is China, Indonesia. And this one was interesting to me. Africa between, so basically equatorial Africa. So be, from Zambia north to Ethiopia. Okay. Everything in between there, these are the, the thinnest people in the world. Um, and then you have Japan, Afghanistan, Myanmar, uh, Laos and Vietnam. Um, are at the other end of the spectrum. And so basically, if you look at it on a continent basis, um, North and South America, uh, Europe and Russia and Australia are the other, other parts of the world that are dealing with the highest levels of obesity problems. And so this is something I wanted to highlight this morning because we, 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 talk, about, um, we talk about eating disorders such as uh, bulimia and... Um, anorexia, mm-hmm. the flip side of that is a food addiction. Yes, you're right. And neither of these are healthy. And so what we need to be arguing for is not arguing to normalise one or normalise the other. So you've got Facebook out there that it has an algorithm that is trying to normalise the skinny and the thin. Yep. And then you have you know this particular person out there who is trying to normalise the obese. Neither of these are healthy. 
somehow, because we live in one of the most dangerous parts of the world for lifestyle diseases, we need to normalise good health. Yep, go plant a garden. Exactly, <laughs> like you have in your backyard where you have a garden, you have a you have a orchard, you have a bunch of chickens and other uh, critters that run around there and uh, and keep life interesting for you. That's right. So this is um, this is what we need to be fighting for is for the normalization of good health. It's not about your size. It's not about whether you're thin or thick or somewhere in between. The issue is good health. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Well, joining us on the phone this morning for our interview of the day is Sue Burke from Asian Aid. Sue, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys, for having us today. Nah, it's fantastic. We love to hear about what you guys are up to. And, of course, for those who are unfamiliar, and we did introduce Asian Aid, or reintroduce, I should say, Asian Aid last month. Um, Asian Aid is a charity that does work in India, Bangladesh and Nepal, particularly working with children. So, Sue, tell us about your uh, schools and programs that you've got happening over there at the moment, particularly, I guess, as you're dealing with COVID and so forth, must be enormously challenging in developing countries such as these. Oh, absolutely. It's been challenging. I think everyone's felt the pressure of COVID around the world, um, but no more so than in the developing world, where just social distancing often is not even available. That's a luxury in many of the places that we work. So, you know, there has absolutely been challenges. But for every challenge, there's been amazing miracles. You know, I was just reading the other day that we've got a number of really vulnerable children that have been reunited with extended family over this period. So whilst there have been challenges and difficulties and um and that's been across everywhere. There's been some amazing miracles that have emerged as well. Yeah, so you deal with, um, I mean, you support a lot of uh, children that have no parents or that ha- have parents who are unable to support their children. And so when that's you talk about correct. children that have been reunited with extended families, I mean, help us to understand because it's hard sure. for us when we're in a country like Australia to even get a picture of what these kids are dealing with are these kids who have, you know, lost contact with their family and possibly would never regain that contact except for the circumstances yeah, that we've had? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, we've got, obviously we've got, just to kind of create a uh, sort of what the UN calls them, educational refugees where parents are not, unable to support their children through education for a number of reasons, but predominantly poverty or circumstance, and so that they are living in, you know, really far out places in Nepal, and they almost, what I would say, surrender their children to the school and say, can you please take our children? So we have those, and then we have single parents um, who have been abandoned by the major breadwinner, the father usually, Um, and we also have children that, you know, for no no fault of their own, have been what we would traditionally in Australia be part of the foster system. You know, foster foster parents don't exist in these countries. So schools take a role that usually a foster parent would be, say, in Australia, for example. So so these would be uh, children that are coming from homes that, you know, are just a a dangerous place place for that child to be in. 
and uh, not the safest place to be. Yeah. Sure. Tell me what happens. You talk about, you know, in places like Nepal, I mean, that's an incredibly mountainous country. I would imagine that many of the villages are just phenomenally remote. Um, And you talk about parents who surrender their children to the educational system. And, you know, when you say that, it's just my heart breaks just hearing that because I couldn't imagine having to do something like that to surrender my children just so that they can get an education. What would be the option for these children if they didn't go if they didn't go to a boarding school if they didn't leave home at a young age if they just stayed in the mountain village what would what would their outcome no, they be they wouldn't stay in the mountain you know you're talking about children and fam- what we call vulnerable families where they might get married off early they might be child trafficked you know big problems in those small communities where education really doesn't exist, access to schooling doesn't exist in many cases. They have no electricity and they get, you know, people prey on that level of vulnerability. So what we can do in these communities is we can lift up the communities. And in fact, I'm really excited to share with you, and I know Paul touched on this, that we're actually been spending COVID looking at how we can develop programs in these communities that surround our Adventist schools and bring up the parents in terms of providing sustainable outcomes for them. So not only will they flourish in future prospects, but also in faith and sustainable outcomes for generations to come. And we're so excited to be able to be able to do that. Now, when you talk about you know sustainable outcomes for the parents, uh, typically uh, these parents who would be I don't know subsistence farmers, and this provides an opportunity for them to actually yeah, move forward we, in life. Often, often, what well, not even subsistence farmers. Often, they would be what we call day labourers, or they would migrate. A parent would migrate, say, from Nepal to India to work. So they wouldn't necessarily even have enough to sustain their families without doing that. So you were talking about your garden before I heard while I was waiting. Yes, and, yes, yes, indeed. And yesterday I received some amazing photos from one of our community projects around one of our um, Adventist village schools in Bangladesh. And it was the mango planting day. So all of the kids and their parents came to collect two mango trees and they were taught how to plant them and how to care for them and then they took them back to their own homes. And so part of what we also do is to create we have we have a goat bank. We have a you know a rice paddies. We provide fresh water and drinkable water and sustainable water so that they can actually plant crops and become not just you know subsistence, but sustainable. So, 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 so I'm just, I just, I just, sorry, I just have to go back and ask that question uh, because it's, it is the uh, the elephant sure. or the or the goat in the room. You have a goat <laughs> bank. Is it was that? How, how does the goat bank work? That I'm, I love that title. <laughs> yeah. So the idea is sort of so after they've had three kids, then they look at how we can. Um, use the fourth, the fourth kid to 
pass on to someone else. Okay, and when we're talking about kids, we're talking about baby goats. Not real kids. <laughs> baby goats. Baby goats, guys. <laughs> okay, so I'm sitting here with Darren Pratt this morning. He's filling in for Lawson, who's away, and of course he uh, he raises stud chickens. And so, uh, Darren, you've got a question there. I about- know. What about a chicken bank? Do you have a chicken bank? No, but we have a duck program. Oh, right. That's just that's. I keep ducks too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to so join that. Have- I'm going to join the duck bank. Yes. <laughs> And so not only with the ducks, but they can sell the eggs as well. And this is the whole idea, is that we move from creating a welfare system to a sustainable outcome for families. And, you know, there is a bit bit of a cycle there, which is really exciting, because that means eventually they'll be in a position to pay the school fees for the advent of school. And then that is also an enduring legacy. So it's a really exciting way to look at charities empower, they don't just give, you know, and I think that's a really important switch that I feel really passionate about and what Asian Aid is really focusing on. Yeah, so rather than um, giving the fish, we, we give the fishing pole an instruction how to catch fish, essentially. Well, more... More rather than the fishing pole, we give the community nets right. to fish. Right, yes. You know, so you actually support the community itself rather than even just an individual. It goes further than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's this is the piece, the enduring legacy piece. You know, we're looking at sustainable outcomes for faith and future prospects in in countries, really, I mean, I was just looking at the percentages this morning. I mean, Nepal has 1.4% of their um, whole country that even believe in Christianity. Bangladesh has less than 0.5%, and India has 2.3%. And part of our role at Asian Aid, we're supporting ministry to the church, is to spread God's message. So that's really to provide really safe communities to flourish in faith as well as get educated is a really important part of what we you know we're passionate about doing we hear a lot of stories concerning stories particularly coming out of india about persecution against christianity and it seems to me that what you're doing there with asian aid where you are supporting the communities um would be going a long way to break down a lot of that prejudice and a lot of that anger that there is towards christianity um have you noticed have you noticed those positive results coming through in the areas where you've been working i mean certainly that's that's the intent and by all indications that you know the communities in which we work have had a really positive experience both from their um their broader community but also from government officials i mean i was actually in india and nepal just prior to covid in the November before COVID and um, we went to an amazing school in India and that was part of our community project and it was just such an inspiring place to be. There were goats everywhere, amazing, Um, beautiful gardens, vegetable gardens, there were flowers. You know, one of the things in really impoverished places that you see is it feels dirty in terms of, you know, nobody has tiled floors. It's all dusty. That wasn't here. You know, it just felt just 
like we'd shined a beacon of light in a community and everyone was flourishing. And it was just so inspiring. The, the school was painted with these beautiful coloured murals. It just felt, you know, one of the things, obviously, as a communicator, but also I look after the fundraising, you know, I look at is, is this the best way to spend donors' money when I travel overseas? It's what I kind of look at from my perspective and it just felt so good. I just knew that if I'd put any donor in that spot, they would just felt so proud of how their money was being spent. And I think that's really exciting as well as we continue to expand those programs. Absolutely. And hopefully sometime in the near future, our donors will have an opportunity to head over there if they so choose. Um, once, yeah, we're uh, really looking forward to sort of future planning as obviously things move forward in the future um, to do some of those amazing mission visits. And, and we're going to be really excited about what we're going to be announcing in the next year as obviously things move forward. So it's, we're 55 this year and we've actually impacted the lives of 50,000 children. So it's something that we're really proud of and in addition to that, the one thing that I think personally that really excites me is how many teachers and doctors that we met at Sheer Memorial in Nepal, which is a Seventh-day Adventist hospital, um, how many of them were our former children. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that, a huge impact. Yeah, and that's really exciting for us as well to see you know, going to the nurses' college and seeing the students that our donors have sponsored and where they've now gone. Mm. Fantastic. This is really exciting stuff, and I have a million questions that I would love to ask. I'm going to have to save them till next no month worries. because we're out of time. But, Sue, very quickly, um, how do people support Asian Aid and the work that you're doing? Sure. Yeah, so if you go onto our website, it's probably the easiest. It's asianaid.org.au. AsianAid.org.au. That's a very simple website there. Thank you, Sue Burke, for joining us here on The Breakfast Show this morning. Right. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.